0: Hello and welcome to another edition of A Word from God. I am Pastor James Lindley. We are continuing the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 8 today, verses 18 through 34. If you want more of my podcasts, simply go over to www.awordfromgod.net. Let's begin. Matthew chapter 8. Verses 18 through 34, Working Miracles. In the following verses, we will learn about the cost of following Jesus. We will see his divine power over nature. And we will get a preview of what's in store for the demons and for all those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amen. That's what we're going to learn about today. So the first point I want to make is the cost of following Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Matthew uh, 8, 18 to 34. Well, hold on a minute. There is something wrong here. I should have 17 on there. I apologize. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go around to the other side and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now Jesus gave orders to the uh, to go to the other side because the people were swarming him. They were trying to push on him because they were seeking after the miracles and not after what he represented. And that was what? Forgiveness for sins. Oftentimes people end up coming to church when they're in trouble. Not because they want to get closer to Jesus, but because they want to get deliverance from their sin. But the kind of deliverance they're seeking is getting out of trouble. Okay? They want something from God. People get really religious when they want something from God. Jesus withdraws from those kind of people because they're seeking him for materialistic things, for superficial things, for things that are not eternal. They're not looking for a relationship, and he will withdraw from people like that because they're not truly seeking him. If you seek Jesus for a relationship, you will find him. But if you're seeking God for things of selfish uh, nature, you're going to find that God is not listening to your prayers on things like that. Amen? So he was trying to get away from the people because they were swarming him and they were coming after him for the wrong reasons. Now, some people are eager and anxious to serve Christ, while others are reluctant. Now, this is so important on this verse because, you know, sometimes we read the Bible... And it's only like a couple of verses, but there's a whole entire sermon in just these few verses about the two that came to Jesus in this situation. Now, one of them was eager. He was ready to go. I'll follow you anywhere. Here I am. Use me, Lord. Use me. What did Jesus say? He talked about how he didn't have a place to lay his head at night. He talked about how hard it was going to be. Now see, this first guy, he came to Jesus and made an offer. Jesus didn't call him. He wasn't a disciple. He was a scribe. He was a teacher of the law. He came to Jesus and said, here, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And Jesus was weeding him out, saying, you can't handle what I got for you. You can't take it. Know what you're asking for. Jesus tells the first man about the hardships of following him. Christ wants no misunderstandings when it comes to being his disciple. This is hard work. The gospel is hard work. And if you ain't got it in you, don't be coming to God telling him you're going to do it, especially if he didn't call you. But now listen to this. Luke fourteen twenty eight says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. So what this verse is saying and what Jesus was saying to the scribe is simple. Before you decide to do something for God, you better look at the price. That it's going to cost you in order to complete what it is that you are going to do for him. Because it's going to cost you something to serve God. And if you're not willing to pay it, don't ante up anything. Because you end up taking that back from God too. Praise God. So if you're going to serve him, sit down and think about the cost because it's going to be a hard, long, costly ride serving God. It's going to take everything that you have in your life to serve God because he wants everything from you, all of it. He does. He wants your very life if necessary. The second man is rebuked because he made excuses not to follow Understand in the verse, the second man was called a disciple. He was called. He was called to ministry. And he was telling Jesus, well, let me, you know, bury my mother and my father. What the second man was really saying was he wanted to live out his life first, get his inheritance, and then follow Jesus. But see, God calls you where you are. He didn't, look, when, when Jesus calls you, He's calling you now. The second guy was called. He was referred to as a disciple. And he was sitting there saying, well, let me get my inheritance. Let me me take care of my parents' affairs. Let me live my life out. And when I'm ready and I've had all my fun and I'm an old man and life has passed me by and I got nothing better to do after I've had all my fun, then I'll deny myself and I'll come be with you. That way I'll have some inheritance money. You know, I, it won't be so hard on me then because I'll have some cash in my pocket because mom and dad's going to give me their inheritance. I won't want to run off and do bad things that are run Christ-like because I would have got all that fun out of me, you know. I'm, I'm just going to wait till I have all my fun first. Then I'll come serve you. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own. And what he's talking about is, he's talking about when he says, let the dead bury the dead, he's talking about the spiritual dead. Let them take care of themselves. Don't get tied up with those people. You follow me. Following God. It's hard. And not everybody's cut out to do it. But if he's called you and you ignore the call, it's going to be a lot harder not to follow him than it would be if you would just obey. Okay. Jesus demands that we give up things and even people in order to follow him this is not easy but often necessary luke 14:26 jesus says if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters yes and even his own life he cannot be my disciple jesus did not literally mean to hate anyone in the greek context it means less devoted to or love less. You see, you're going to find yourself serving God one day and someone's going to be interfering with your mission. Someone you love, someone you care about, someone you don't want to hurt, someone you don't want to depart from. But you know what? They're holding you back. They're hindering the work that God has set forth in your life, God still loves them too. The point is, though, are you willing to give up whoever it is in your life that has become an obstacle? Are you willing to give up anything that has become an obstacle in order to serve God? It's going to hurt. That's why they call it sacrificing. But listen what he says. If you don't, let's go back to the verse. If you don't love these things less than him, you cannot be his disciple. You won't be learning from him. Your learning will stop. Disciple means student, right? Once you start disobeying God, you stop learning from him. He stops talking to you. He's not going to continue talking to somebody who's disobedient. He's not going to start talking to somebody again who isn't listening. And if you're not listening, you're not learning. And Christians fall into this trap all the time. They get comfortable where they are with God. They think they've learned enough. The one thing they're failing is love. You see, God's not trying to teach you every word in the Bible so that you're book smart. He's trying to teach you love. And love starts with self-sacrifice. What are you willing to give up because you love him so much And care so less for yourself that you want to see the work of God done in the lives of other people. People that don't even deserve it by your standards. Praise God. What is it in your life today that God has asked you, give it to me. And you're saying, no, this is mine. And you can't have it. Then you will stop learning from God. Because he is going to stop you at that point and say, you've hit a roadblock and you cannot be my disciple you cannot be my student you will sit here in timeout in the classroom in the back of the class you will hear the words but you will not grasp the words you'll have it up here but you won't get it here because your heart is out of alignment with the teachings of the messiah number 2 jesus calms a storm this is the second part that we're going to go over in Matthew 8:23 Uh, excuse me, Matthew 8, verses 23 through 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Notice the verse states that his disciples followed him into the boat. Sometimes we run into a test of storm when we are following Christ. Listen, the disciples got in the boat with him. Now, you would think that the whole time you're following Jesus somewhere, it's going to be calm seas. But sometimes he will deliberately put you in a boat with him. And those seas will get rocky and wavy and scary. It doesn't mean you took a wrong turn. It means that Jesus is testing you. Why are you so afraid if you're lined up with Christ? But look, their faith was the problem. You see, you could say you trust Jesus all day long. But when that storm hits, how you react to that storm tells you how much faith you've got. Praise God. Christ was so exhausted that he was sleeping through the storm. He was worn out. Why was he worn out? Because he was doing what God told him to do. He was doing his ministry. But you know what? Christians today, we got to take a break, right? We only work on Sundays. Praise God. Right? Jesus works all the time. He says, my father is always working. Right? So he was always working. He's out busy saving souls. That's why he was tired. Why are you tired? Because you stayed up late? Because you partied too hard? I don't know. I'm asking. I don't know. But if you're not tired because you're doing ministry, you better go talk to the boss. You better go talk to the boss and say, Lord, I'm tired, but not because I'm busy doing your work. I'm tired because I'm doing everything but your work. (laughs) That'll wear you out. (laughs) There's another point to this. There was a storm going around all over Jesus. And he had so much faith, he slept through it. Most of us can't even fall asleep when we got a storm going on. We just sit about thinking about it all night long. Jesus was sound asleep. They had to wake him up. He trusted the Father. And before he calms the sea, he takes a moment to rebuke the disciples concerning their lack of faith. I love the order of things. You see, Jesus... He was more concerned about the faith and the well being of his disciples. He wasn't even worried about the storm. Lots of times you'll find yourself in a storm and you'll be like, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. You know what he's doing? He's talking to you. And you're like, don't talk to me. Talk to the storm. No, I'm talking to you first. Often God will talk to you before he talks to your storm. You're the problem. Not the storm. God's in control of the storm. It's the people he has problem controlling because it's called free will. He talked to the disciples before he talked to the storm. Understand that the next time you find yourself in a storm and you're praying about getting out of it, Jesus is going to be talking to you about your faith before that storm gets calmed. And the longer it takes you to listen about what God is talking to you, the longer that storm is going to rage around you. Anybody hear what I'm saying today? Praise God. Even after all this time being with Jesus, the disciples are amazed when he rebukes the wind and the sea. They marveled at it, it says. Christians are amazed when we see the work of God in our lives, if we care to notice We can still be amazed by God if we have the faith to believe, if we have the faith to follow him. But you know what? The reason why Christians are less and less amazed today is because less and less Christians are truly following Jesus with faith. It takes faith to be marveled by what God does, because you know what? Faith gets you to follow him so you can see the marvels that he's doing But if you're not following him, you're in the wrong place in your life. And you're not going to see any miracles happening in your life because you're not around to see him. You didn't follow Jesus to the miracles. You followed yourself to where you wanted to be. Number three, Jesus heals two men with demons. Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34. And when he came to the other side to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, "'What have you to do with us, O Son of God? "'Have you come here to torment us before the time?' Now a herd of many pigs were feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, "'If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs.'" And he said to them, "Go." So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they bade him to leave their region. Understand that these were Gentiles. They didn't know anything about a Messiah. And they didn't like the fact that their herd, their livelihood, their bread and butter, their food, their bacon sandwiches were in the sea. Okay? They lost their commodity. They lost their asset. They lost their livelihood. And they did not like it. Okay? Demons have made these men so violent that they live among the tombs. No one can deliver them. They have been discarded by the world, yet Jesus comes to them and with the word delivers them. Now, listen to me. When you are lost in your sin, you are as dead spiritually to God. If you don't have Jesus Christ, you're as bad off as this guy. You're in the tombs, you're just not buried. And Jesus went to the tombs. He went to the places where there was no life to deliver a man who was cast out. You know, Jesus took a lot from people who were criticizing him for hanging around sinners. And I understand that more now than ever, because there's people that don't understand why I talk to sinners, why I talk to people who are demon filled. Okay, people don't understand, Pastor, why are you inviting people with demons to church? how else are they going to get saved? How else are they going to get delivered? This man was cast out and Jesus came to him. I can't invite him to my church? What, it's just for saved people in here? The hospital is for sick. Demons are mentioned many times in the New Testament. They are a very real danger to people today. I want to tell you guys something. The next time you watch a show about ghosts, and hauntings, turn it off. Because what you're really watching is a show about demons. Demons impersonate the living, okay? There's no such thing as what we call a ghost. Ghosts don't exist in the sense that we know of them, okay? If you think you saw a ghost, you saw a demon. And they'll come in the form of your, of your loved one, a friend, just to get you to believe in something that's not true. Demons are real. And they'll, they, 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 I've seen them in people, Okay, i've seen people under the influence Okay, so demons are a very real part in the bible. They exist Don't mess with them. Okay, you pray in the name of jesus to cast them out But don't sit there and watch that stuff on tv. It's evil And it'll get in your house. It'll get in your life. You don't want that stuff. It's poison demons can't possess a christian, okay, so If you have the holy ghost, there's no room for a demon, but but They can try to manipulate them and even harass them, okay? Now, I know for a fact that demons can follow Christians around. Demons can follow Christians around. You can get around people that have demons, and those demons will follow you home, okay? And you think you're being haunted or something like that. Or they'll mess with you. They'll agitate you. They'll get you to act unchristian-like because they're messing with you, okay? They're not possessing you. You don't have no demon in you because you're a Christian, okay? But you can have this thing walking around, following you, hitchhiking on your back and saying, hello, do what I tell you. And they'll try to manipulate you into doing things. I read a book one time and it said, if you give me the keys to your car, but you make all the payments and the car is titled in your name, but I have the keys, I don't need to possess the car in order to control the car. I got the keys. Don't hand Satan the keys to your life. Don't make a mistake. Satan can trick you into handing over the keys of your life to him and his dominions, and they don't need to possess you. They're manipulating you through people and circumstance and the little whispering that they do in your ear, okay? Now, I'm not saying that everything that everybody does that's bad is because of a demon. Sometimes people just do stupid things, sinful things, wrong things, bad choices, okay but satan is real demons are real and we need to be careful because the scripture says in Ephesians 6:12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places okay There's different levels of heaven, and what this place is talking about, what what this scripture is talking about, is that these demonics, they are in a realm of heaven that's not the throne of heaven, okay? It's not God's throne, but they're in a realm. And because they're in that position, they are very powerful, okay? They're fallen angels, all right? But they have been given... Certain leeway by God certain allowances that they can go around and do certain things to people who agree with them Because God is thats called free will isn't it free choice, right? What no devil you wouldn't have a choice would you so God's letting you choose right now, but here's the thing You know how those pigs went over to the sea And they drowned that was symbolic of what's going to happen to Satan when he throws him and the demons into the lake of fire Jesus was giving you a preview of what he's going to do That's why those pigs went in the water like that. That was a preview of what's going to happen to Satan and the demons right into the lake of fire, okay? So that's a promise in the Bible that Jesus has not forgotten about delivering us from the evil angels. The slaughtering of the pigs was symbolic of what will happen to all evil when Christ returns. What will you be caught doing when Jesus comes back What will you be involved in when Jesus returns and you hear those trumpets? Where will he find you when he comes back? Will he find you sleeping or will he find you exhausted and working his kingdom? Praise God. That's right. Following Jesus is not an easy road to travel. If it was, everybody be doing it, right? (laughs) Okay. Okay. But if you choose to follow Him, He will be there in all your storms as He leads you to His Father's kingdom. Amen. Praise God.